welcome to the Caring Congregation podcast, where we seek to educate and equip pastors, congregational care ministers, or CCMs for short, and church laity to create a culture of care in the church and community. I'm Rev. Joy Dister-Dominguez, your host and producer of this podcast, and today we continue the season all about care and social justice, taking a look at a variety of topics that stretch us beyond the traditional understanding of congregational care ministry. So on Friday, June 24th, 2022, in a historic decision, the U.S. Supreme Court officially reversed Roe versus Wade, declaring that the constitutional right to abortion upheld for almost 50 years no longer exists in the United States, giving the power back to the states to decide women's reproductive health decisions. About a month ago, I recorded this conversation with Reverend Barbara Dunlap before any decisions were made, and you'll see that in our conversation. Reverend Barbara Dunlap is an ordained deacon and the founder of Sacred Worth Ministries. From 2017 until early 2022, she served as an associate minister at First United Methodist Church of Hearst, Texas, and currently serves full-time in Sacred Worth Ministries, making special time for people like me who want to have deep conversations about these important issues. Barbara's call to ministry began with the question, what would the world look like if women and girls were seen as children of God with sacred worth? As a response to that question, she works to address issues that impact daily lives of women and girls, such as reproductive health, maternal health, empowerment, education, and advocacy. Barbara is a repeat guest, and I hope that you'll check out season three, episode seven, where we talk about um, sacred worth of girls. Reproductive health affects humans, including before conception until death, it's a wide range, right? And so we as a society like to narrow in on one area of reproductive health, but Barbara and I take a very broad view looking at scripture, our United Methodist social principles, and shared personal experiences such as my IVF journey. Just a content warning, we do talk about miscarriage. I hope if that is a trigger for you, you will skip this episode. This conversation is incredibly rich and deep. It's informative and moving. And I give God thanks that we are always learning and growing in God's grace. So I hope and pray that you will listen and learn with an open heart and an open mind. Take a listen. Well, welcome back, Reverend Barbara. We're so glad to have you. Thank you. Your second time on the podcast. And I am so excited about our conversation today. And I knew you were going to be the perfect person to talk to about reproductive justice. And so thank you for your time and your energy and your passion surrounding um, this very, very important topic. I am excited to be here and to have this conversation. Yes. And for our listeners, you know, we are, we're continuing to learn and to grow, uh, both of us. And 
we may not get it right. <laughs> These are our opinions, our opinions only, and that are ever evolving, ever changing as more science comes to us, as God continues to reveal God's self to us, we are continuing to learn and grow. And so, um, this is truly a conversation that we're, uh, hoping will open people's eyes to a, a larger understanding, a bigger grasp of what does reproductive justice uh, mean, why we should care about it. Even if you think it's not going to affect you, it actually does. And so these are hard conversations. We are trying to say the right words and, and use the right terms. I guarantee we will probably get something wrong. Um, and so please, we ask for your grace as we muddle through this highly controversial topic. <laughs> if you haven't uh, turned on the news lately, uh, <laughs> uh, this is kind of a hot button issue. And so let's, I think, first of all, start with what is reproductive justice? Um, so reproductive justice is a term and a framework that was created by Sister Song, um, which is a group of, um, they call themselves Sister Song um, Women of Color Reproductive Justice Collective. And they coined this term in 1994. And um, they Sister Song defines reproductive justice as the human right to maintain personal bodily autonomy, have children, not have children, and parent the children we have in safe and sustainable communities. So that is their definition and they coined it. And so um, we wanna give them full credit for that. And we use Absolutely. this word and you hear other things too. And I think, um, you know, there's reproductive health, reproductive, but this big framework, um, I love that it's so all encompassing because it really talks about all the different, the different components that go into that. But I do think it's important to, to point out that it was coined by this group, particularly women of color that mm -hmm. coined this because they have been least represented in this area. Sure. Absolutely. And I will make sure in the show notes to post a link um, of how you can find out more about this great organization. So, and, and read this for yourself. So when we talk about reproductive justice, it is such a spectrum and is such a spectrum. And as we think about this out loud, the spectrum that it is, I know we'll probably miss an area, um, but, but what is it? We're, you know, the hot button word right now that everyone wants to throw around is abortion, but what also is reproductive justice? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, I mean, you know, if we go back to this definition, right. So it talks about maintaining personal bodily autonomy. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, and this has the human right too. So often we think we want to say, oh, this is a women's issue, right? Mm -hmm. And it and it often is because we are often most impacted, but it's not just a women's issue. It mm -hmm. is, you know, everyone being able to have personal bodily autonomy mm -hmm. to have children. So that encompasses, you know, pregnancy, birth, IVF, any kind of um, reproductive assistance that people mm -hmm. need, which I mean, IVF is just one form of that, right? There's sure. all the different kinds, not have children. So birth control, abortion falls under that. Um, abstinence, right? All of that would come under that. And then parenting the children that we do have in safe and sustainable communities. So we can talk about like the current news right now. I don't know when this will air, but again, we have this formula shortage here and we have, you know, food deserts and we have, um, you know, violence, different kinds of violence, right? There was just a shooting last night at a grocery store, right? So that is all safe and sustainable communities, you know, and schools, right? Like, so it all, it's like, mm -hmm. it kind of encompasses everything because I think it is such 
without reproduction, we would, there would be nothing. Right. And so like justice of reproduction touches on all these different areas. And so, yeah, there's always hot button topics and some that come to the forefront at different times. But I think when we, I think it's important to think about this overarching framework, Mm -hmm. um, because it is so interconnected. So when you touch in one of these areas that you're touching in so many different areas. Absolutely. And when we think of our biblical understanding of humankind, every single person has elements of reproductive systems. Um, I mean, I'm getting all that. I may not be saying that correctly, but um, we all have elements of, of reproductive systems within us. And so it, it does absolutely affect all of us. And it's also not something um, that, and we talked about this last season when I had you on the podcast last, it starts from obviously conception, preconception, right. To, um, to even birth to, I think of like my 98 year old grandmother, right. She still has reproductive parts that reproductive justice would affect. So when we think we have to think of the entire spectrum of how this affects and who this affects. Uh, and so that's, that's really important. And I want people to, to really think of that as we are going into this conversation. And so we see many, many examples of biblical injustice when it comes to uh, reproduction, when it comes to bodily autonomy. And so we were brainstorming earlier about the different stories and what's, uh, what's one story that first comes to mind uh, for you, Barbara? Yeah, I always like to kind of start some of these conversations with the story of Hannah, which is from first Samuel. So first Samuel one, um, and, and so Hannah, um, I, I'm not going to read the whole thing cause it's kind of long, but so paraphrase Hannah has not had any children and, um, she's married to a, a, a priest and he has, um, another wife who has given birth and had children, but, and, and so Hannah is distressed and she goes to pray. Um, and so, you know, I it's here's first Samuel one, nine, and it says, um, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now, Eli, the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Um, so then she prays, I'm going to skip that part. It's not that the prayer is not important, but and then, and then just as she continues and it says, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, mm. for I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Eli, then Eli answered, go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition you have made to him. And, and so I think to me, like this example, I, I use it a lot. And I remember in seminary, like using this example in some classes and trying to explain to people, especially some people who maybe hadn't been there and just said, this is a woman who's who, who, right. When we're talking about reproductive justice, right. She, I hate using the word barren, but she was barren, you know, biblically had not had children and really wanted children. And so all she was doing was praying silently, Mm -hmm. asking God to give her children, Mm -hmm. particularly a male son. 
and it just and the the priest sees her and thinks she's drunk mm-hmm. because he can't comprehend why she would be there praying in mm-hmm. in such a, a state and even though she's not even praying out loud right like so is she causing a distraction why why is he harassing her because i feel like he's kind of harassing her and she says you know like do not regard me as a worthless woman. I have been speaking Mm. out of my great anxiety and vexation Mm. all this time. And I think how many women in our churches and outside of our churches are regarded as worthless women Mm. for whatever reason, and have been speaking out of great anxiety and vexation. And we are saying, go home, you're drunk, Mm -hmm. go home, you're whatever, like, you know, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Hysterical. Right. Which, you know, the whole word hysterical comes from the same word, you know, hysterectomy, right. It's hyster means uterus. Um, stop speaking with your uterus, crazy woman. (laughs) All right. Like, and I think how, how often, and I do me, this is just a great example of the systemic church, not recognizing that this is an anxiety and vexation, um, that this is a pain. This is a want a desire and from different perspectives, right. In this case, she happened to want a child, but it may be somebody who, who does not, or somebody who has a medical other kind of medical issue. And so, um, he quickly says, you know, go in peace, but the fact that she had to like explain to him what, what mm-hmm. was happening. I just think mm-hmm. that is, it's just, it, this is in first Samuel, which is pretty early on, like in thousands of years, we haven't figured out how to be better than this. Yeah. Like, come on church, yeah. let's be better. Sure. I can relate so much to Hannah and I've shared part of my story in previous podcasts. Um, I, my husband and I experienced three years of infertility and, um, I'll share a little bit more uh, later in the podcast, but, but the miscarriage and the loss and the grief of, of feeling called to have a child, to be a mother, the loss I, I've been there and I wasn't silent. <laughs> I wasn't silent about my pain and my uh, anxiety and, and my worry and my fear and my crying out to God. I mean, I, I can relate so much to Hannah. And so it's so painful, um, when she is disregarded and the courage it must've taken to stand up and say, what, well, this is what's going on, you know? And, um, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it, it's, um, it is. Yeah. So, uh, I'm just agreeing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it really is because it is just so, and in that time, right. That, that for her to speak up in at the temple in that time and to speak to a man in that fashion, yeah. I'm sure also <laughs> who's a priest. Right. Um, right. so the bravery that that took, I mean, it was the bravery too, that brought yeah. her to that point to pray Absolutely. in the way she did. And so I think, we, we shouldn't have to wait for women or anyone, right. To, to have to be, we shouldn't have to be that brave. I mean, yes, you should be brave, but like, you shouldn't have to step so far out of your comfort zone just Mm -hmm. to be recognized by the church as somebody who needs care. Yeah, Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, A story that comes to mind is the bleeding woman in Luke eight and Mark five and just the, the anguish and pain for many, 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 many years that this woman bled and was deemed ritually unclean, which means she was an outcast. She was um, cast away and how she needed reproductive justice. She needed 
help the the pain and the anguish and trauma that that must have caused her. Yeah. And I think that story too, is such a great example because so that I'm somebody who's been passionate about this for a long time. Um, I, my parents talked to me about, you know, bodies and sex and my church did too, when I was young, like I grew up in a church that did this and I can't remember how much of this we talked about last time, but that story for me, I was in my thirties before like it clicked in my brain where she was bleeding from. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and as somebody <laughs> I was like, and then I was mad at myself. I was like, how did I, I was like, oh, maybe she has a leg wound or maybe her arm's bleeding. Right. And then I was right. like, no, like she has like a heavy period. Like, right. Like, yes. but the fact that the church doesn't, we read that story all the time. Cause it's a great story of Jesus healing, but we frame it in this way that we still don't want to talk about what actually was happening in that story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so like, it was a VBS story one year and that's when it clicked with me. And of course the VBS story wasn't saying she had really heavy periods. Um, but you know, it, it was one of those where I was just like, Oh, if I didn't pick up on that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as somebody who is like in mm-hmm. this world, who else is not picking up on this story? So even though we think we're, t- we might think, oh, I'm teaching this story. I've taught this at VBS or, you know, our congregation has heard this preach from the pulpit, but have they actually heard the real story there? And the fact too, like you're talking about her ritual and un- uncleanliness, like, do they actually understand the significance and the impact of that story? Because when you know what's happening in her life, that makes that story even more powerful, I think, because yes, I mean, bleeding from your arm for that many years or whatever would be horrible, but it's different. Like this, um, you know, what was that keeping her from living her most fulfilled life? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe she wanted children or maybe she already had children and couldn't take care of them because she was so, you know, richly impure. Like, yeah, I just think there's so much more in that. And so even mm-hmm. that story that people think they know, like, if we're not talking about it in the right way, I think we're actually doing it a disservice. Yeah, absolutely. So many churches are quick to talk about, um, the saving cleansing blood of Jesus that was shed for us. However, we're squeamish when we talk about a menstruating woman. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's taboo. And I think that is, I think a lot of this is taboo. So yay. I'm glad we're talking about this today (laughs) even. And I hope people are listening and they didn't go, Ooh, I don't want to listen to that because, um, a lot of people either think, oh, this topic's not about me, so I don't want to mm-hmm, listen. Mm-hmm. Um, or, uh, yeah, like the fact that we have made reproductive health so taboo, I think is a is part of our big problem, and particularly in the church. Um, like you said, we'll talk about Jesus's blood, but we won't talk about Mary's blood. Mm. We won't talk about Eve's blood. Yep, yep. Right, like you know. Yep. Um, so yeah, who, who gets framed, who gets framed? Like when Jesus is born, I mean, then it's great. Jesus is very important, <laughs> not, yes. not saying, but like, I, I, I talked once about like the, that Mary probably had a midwife and that, you know, it wasn't clean and sanitary and Jesus mm-hmm. would have been born bloody and messy. And that, you know, that, and people were like, I'd never thought of it that way. Right. Because mm-hmm. we sanitize these stories. And so I think Absolutely. we sanitize women and women's health issues out of church stories a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So other stories we can come up with, um, you've got the rape of Dinah, you've got Sarah and Hagar, uh, Rachel, what, what other ones are, are prominent for you when talking about reproductive? I mean, all these are great, 
what other, what other ones do you want to highlight? Yeah, I think too. I mean, even going back to Mary, right. We have Mary and Elizabeth and we have Mary Mm -hmm. who was unwed, Mm -hmm. um, teenager probably. Um, and then we have her cousin, Elizabeth, who's, um, advanced maternal age as it would be labeled on her chart these days, geriatric pregnancy, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so, right. And, and those stories and how their community either supported them or didn't. And like Elizabeth was mocked and, um, you know, we, so we have those stories we have, um, we like, you know, we were talking about this. I was thinking about like Rahab, right. Who we don't have any actual reproductive health stories about her, but the fact that she was a prostitute, right. We know that there's something that would be happening in there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's stories of, you know, miscarriage and, and in scripture, right. Like we, and we have, um, slaves that are having, like we were talking about with Sarah and Hagar, right. Mm -hmm. Like there's these slaves that are being forced to give birth and then cast Um, away. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, and they're not in the lineage, right. We, you know, although Hagar and Ishmael did get to, you know, go start a new thing, but just, I think it's this, And these stories are there because I thought, you know, people think, oh, it's not in there, but there's so many stories. And then there's stories. I mean, there's, there's other rapes, there's other things happening. Um, And, and like, there's so much reproductive injustice in scripture. And I think that we are supposed to learn from that. And I don't know that we have. Mm. Absolutely. We are supposed to learn from that. I hope you're enjoying this conversation. There are many more resources on our website, thecaringcongregation.com, and also in the show notes. Reverend Barbara provided several resources, and I certainly hope that you'll check them out. Also, we have two exciting webinars coming up. The first is July 15th and 16th, 2022, for certified lay ministers to receive specialization in congregational care ministry. This is in collaboration with Lay Servant Ministry of the United Methodist Church. This is also open to all laity and pastors. If you're interested in finding out more about how to set up a care ministry or how to train your team, we invite you to join us. And October 15th and 16th of 2022, we'll host our fall webinar to train and equip your pastors and laity to coordinate a care ministry. This is also an excellent refresher course. If you have care ministers who perhaps just uh, would like a refresher in any section of this uh, training, we would love to have you. It's open for all who are even just interested or want to know what what it's all about. You can register on our website, thecaringcongregation.com, and please reach out if you have any questions. And now back to our episode. So those are all excellent stories. And I, I think that's what is so important about staying in scripture, continuing to learn and to dive into scripture. And as we approach scripture, we are different. We are changed. We see scripture through a different lens. And so I hope that people will revisit these stories and speaking of that, this is the foundation scripture is the foundation of what Uh, we believe in United Methodist, how we live out our faith. And so when it comes to the social principles in the United Methodist church, um, where does reproduction fall in this? So for us, we have um, in the social principles, we have a section called the nurturing community, which is mostly where we find this. And so like we have multiple statements um, 
you know, once again, there it's kind of spread out, but like we have a statement that says we affirm the right of men and women to have access to comprehensive reproductive health and family planning information and services. Um, we have statements about, um, which, sorry, I just oh, gonna, no. I'm just going to interject, um, planned parenthood, right? We want to, we want to cast planned parenthood as only doing certain services, uh, in, in regards to abortion, but they provide phenomenal, uh, help, especially for low income and marginalized persons. Should yes. I- yes. And all kinds of, all kinds of help. And I mean, and that's a whole other, um, social principle too, that we have, that we believe that, you know, everyone should have access to all kinds of healthcare. And so reproductive healthcare definitely falls under that, but yeah, like, so, I mean, even, you know, cancer screenings and things all they, there's so much work that's being done there. Um, yeah, that it it isn't only related to pregnancy. I mean, it can be, but it's not only. And so I think that's, um, yeah. And once again, it's all interconnected, right? So like if you get, you know, cervical cancer screening, well, because if you have cervical cancer and you want to have a child later, right, like that's going to impact that. So I think it is all tied in together. Yeah, um, yeah. So we have also like, we say, you know, that we affirm. So the United Methodist social principle says we affirm that sexuality is God's good gift to all persons. Um, and that we, we call everyone to be to responsible stewardship of the sacred gift, but then it talks about, um, con- continues on like that. We should, the church should support the family and providing age appropriate education regarding sexuality to children, youth, and adults. So, right, just because we're grownups doesn't mean we know everything. So this is mm-hmm. a continuing education that we are, um, that we also believe that everyone should be protected against violence, particularly against sexual violence. Um, that, it, I mean, there's, there's, I, mean, I don't want to read the whole thing. There's a whole bunch in here. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, you could link to it, but it does talk about like um, that. And then we go on. Um, to the whole section on sexual abuse, which also often falls under this reproductive justice, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it does. It's, um, and that, uh, but, and then we have a whole section on abortion um, that we believe that the beginning of life and the ending of life are the God-given boundaries of human existence. However, we do, uh, this is now Barbara speaking, not our social principles. It, the social principles themselves do not define when that beginning and ending of life are. I just want to put that mm-hmm. out there because that's a thing that often trips people up. Well, when does life begin? Sure. And, and we have not made a statement. The United Methodist church does not have an official statement on that. Some other people say at conception, some people say at breath, some people say it, uh, the quick, a quickening, like when the, the baby moves and, and we just say that these are God-given boundaries and we do not say mm-hmm. <laughs> where they are. So I mm-hmm. think that's an important thing. Yes. Um, and it does say our belief in the sanctity of unborn human life makes us reluctant to approve abortion, but we are equally bound to respect the sacredness of the life and well-being of the mother and the unborn child. So in other words, the United Methodist Church says this is a complicated issue. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we recognize that there are multiple factors at play because, yes, we're talking about a, the life of an unborn child. But we're also talking about the life of a woman that's already here. And mm-hmm. so at what point? you know, there, there can be conflicts. And so it talks about the tragic conflicts of life and it goes on. Um, and basically what, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of information, but, and then it does say too, right. That we entrust God to provide guidance, wisdom, and discernment to those facing an unintended pregnancy. Um, and then it talks about how we want to 
to have ministries that both help reduce unintended pregnancies and also to minister to those who have been in a crisis pregnancy or who have had an abortion or those who have given birth. So like it, our social principles basically are saying all these things that the, you know, like the definition of reproductive justice says, mm-hmm. like, we want to be there with you to help you have children, not have children, raise children in a healthy way. Um, but yet when we've laid these out and people spent, I don't know how many years and hours agonizing over these words and voting on this, this has been voted on. And then we, as a church often just pretend like this doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't our business, but I'm like, it, it, it is our business mm-hmm. because God cares about these things. So we should care yeah. about these things. Yeah, absolutely. I think the difficulty is that we often want to make it uh, a binary, this or that. And it's, it is not a cut and dry issue. Uh, there are so many integral parts of your understanding, your privilege, how that plays into it. Um, the repercussions of each decision, regardless of the decision uh, of any reproductive topic, right? The spectrum again. Um, and it's so, it's just so difficult. And so that's why I think which is really hard in the news right now, you know, you have politicians, especially that are wanting to give one second sound bites or two second sound bites of like, well, I am this and da, 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 da. Well, it's like, okay, but what about, and there's, a hundred questions that you could be followed up on. And, and so it's, which I'm grateful to have this conversation because I hope people see that it is not, it's not a binary decision. It's not cut and dry. Yeah. And I think that is like, right. We want to label things pro or anti, right. I'm, I'm pro choice or I'm anti-abortion or I'm pro life or I'm uh, I don't think anybody says anti-life, but maybe, I don't know. Right. Like, so people want to put this pro and anti in there, but Mm -hmm what is, what is that? Yeah. It's really easy to just label something, but if you really start to unpack, what does that mean? Um, Mm -hmm. like if you're going to say you're pro-life, well, what does that mean? Sure. You know, like, and I think that, you know, comes into what does life mean then? Right. Like what does, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. so it starts unpacking or even the pro-choice, right? Like what does it really mean to allow people to choose? What are we allowing them to choose? Mm Um, and so I think, it's, we want to label people, you know, we love labeling people. We mm-hmm. want to slap labels on everybody, but I think, yeah, there is so much more at, at, at here, you know, because you might say, well, I'm, I'm pro-choice, but to me, pro-choice means X, Y, and Z, but to you mm-hmm. pro-choice might mean, you know, one, two, three. And so I think it's the same thing. Like we have to really unpack that. And, and, um, it's, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially why we don't have an answer of where does life begin? Yeah. That's and I think, too. <laughs> and, and I think what's really interesting to me is um, even, right. So people want to go, oh, religious people believe this, right? Well, first of all, when we say religious, what do we mean? Because if sure. we look at the, like the Jewish faith um, in Judaism, life begins at, at breath. Mm-hmm. So once you take that first breath is when you're actually alive, but also, um, I can't, I'm going to, I don't want to state the wrong thing, but there's also something within like the first 30 days or something is different than later. Um, I think it's the first 30 days that I may be wrong on that, but right. But like, um, and in Judaism, the life of the mother out outweighs the life of an unborn child, a fetus, an embryo. Um, so in a case where the mother's life is at risk, it is actually a commandment 
that the woman have an abortion. And um, so there's information you can read about that online. I don't want to say like I'm speaking for them. I mean, this has been a very public thing because a lot of people are saying, well, you know, this is a religious issue for us because Mm -hmm. this is our commandment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for some people they say, well, life begins at conception. Okay. Well, and I would also want to push back a little bit on that because I see a lot of people say that about church and I want to say, well, if life begins at conception, if that is your belief, then what are you doing for all these people who have had miscarriages? Because then that means that's a whole bunch of loss and it is. And so once again, where is the church in those moments? Sure. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's so many things here that, you know, and then other people say, well, the life begins like at the quickening, which, you know, maybe depending right 20 weeks or, you know, it's, it's complicated. And within religious communities, there's so much variance on that too. Mm -hmm. And so I think we want there just to be a one answer, like God came down and wrote this (laughs) on some big rock somewhere or something and said, here's the answers, but God didn't do that. Um, maybe, maybe it's coming, but it hasn't happened yet. So I think, yeah, we're, we're all wrestling with that. Yeah. It's something that I wrestled with, especially as we, my husband and I made the decision to do IVF. So four years ago, we started our journey of unexplained infertility. And when it quickly became, became, when it quickly became apparent that IVF would be our route if it were to work um, to be parents. I spent a lot of time in prayer. I read, I asked questions. I talked with some of my uh, most trusted pastor friends who had gone through IVF as well. And I struggled with this. Where does life begin? Um, I felt called to be a mother and I know that God placed that on my heart and God placed that on my husband's heart, uh, three rounds of IVF, three retrievals of IVF. And, uh, we did, I think five or six embryo transfers. Um, some, uh, ended in miscarriage and some embryos did not take. And it was very apparent to me, and and to be honest, my relationship with God and my understanding of who God is has grown so much in this process. And my relationship with God has has deepened and widened. And um, I am am now a mother of a a one-year-old who keeps us running. But um, I, in, in those embryo transfers, and you, uh, you know, and the scientists and the doctors say like, oh, this is a perfect embryo. And, and if anyone's familiar with IVF, you know, you have to get your body ready um, through lots of shots and hormones, and you could have the most perfect condition. Your uterus can be all primed and ready and it all, everything looks great. And the embryo is a, a full maturity of, of a day five or day six embryo. And everything can go perfect, quote unquote, perfect. Right. And then life doesn't happen. Life doesn't continue to grow. I could, I could want and pray. So, and I do everything that the doctor told me has told me to do. I couldn't make life happen. And I I think that is um, really important. I 
have come to understand um, life as such a sacred gift. And yet I also understand that it is a huge responsibility and it is a, uh, it is a huge um, commitment <laughs> to, to, to care for this life. Um, and that is, that is our journey. That's not, this isn't, it's not the full story. We only have so much time and there's so many more other decisions that have gone into, uh, into our journey. We also have been very intentional and, and thought through the remaining embryos that we have currently frozen and how we will, um, give those back to God. We will, they, they are sacred. They are holy. Um, and yet God is so much bigger than what we understand. Um, that is our journey. Those are the decisions that we had to make, but everyone makes different decisions. Everyone has different understandings of who God is and how God is at work. I honor and cherish every decision that is made surrounding life. Um, and I think that we need to do that. We need to honor, we need to honor everyone's decision, honor everyone's story. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, thank you, first of all, for sharing that. And I, I know you've shared, you know, this before with other on podcasts, but I, I think what really stood out to me while you were saying that is that, you know, and yet, right? Like this, we believe this and yet God is bigger God, you know, and I think that's just such a lovely way of thinking about that. It, it's, I think it comes back to me of like how I think about, um, you know, just the kingdom of God, right? Like it is, it is here and it is not here. It is in mm -hmm. it. We are, you know, it's, it's the now and the, and the not yet. Right. And so I think it's that same kind of feeling and it's those mysteries that are really hard for us. We are very, like we've talked about already, we want binaries. We want, this is when this starts. This is when this ends. Um, this is, you know, green and this is blue and this is whatever. Like we want to know, um, but that's not how God operates. God operates in the in-betweens in the gray and the, you know, yeah, these mysteries. And we, yeah. I think we, as a people, uh, don't love mystery. <laughs> yeah, it's want, hard. You, you know, we read the last page of the book first to find out how it ends. Maybe not all of us, but <laughs> maybe I do that sometimes, but right. But that's not how God operates. And so I think, um, God is inviting us into this something the and yet, right. Like, mm -hmm. I, I just love that. You know, just when you kept saying, when you said that, I was like, oh yeah, that's it. It's the and yet, right. Like this, this big, but, you know, mm -hmm. the God's plan is not our plan. And so I think, mm -hmm. yeah, I think there's, there's a lot in that. And, um, we, we want to say we've got it all figured out. And it's also, I think this is something with reproductive justice in particular is we think we've got it all figured out. Um, but is it my right to figure it out for somebody else? Thanks for joining us for today's episode. This is part one of a two-part conversation. I hope that you'll join us next week, Tuesday morning, as I um, bring to you the conclusion of our conversation. Another, goodness, another 30 minutes of our conversation. We have such a great conversation every time we talk. So I hope that you'll join us next week. Until then, please check out our website, thecaringcongregation.com. In the show notes, I have all the ways to follow Reverend Barbara, to check out Sacred Worth Ministries, to follow her, 
uh, and social media, et cetera. And, uh, and then join us next week for the conclusion of our conversation. Be sure to rate this episode, our conversation, comment on the podcast, share with your neighbors. Maybe, maybe there's, um, some information in this that you think, you know, maybe my partner would like this or my sister, my, my friend or, or someone in my congregation or even my pastor would really like this insight. And maybe it helps put words into what you're feeling, what you're wrestling with, but not sure how to articulate these really um, difficult conversations. So we invite you to share. We're so grateful for the opportunity, uh, for the privilege of your time and truly appreciate the opportunity just to learn together because that's what we're all doing, right? <laughs> we're learning together um, and we're able to uh, really care for others better because we have a better understanding, right? We've been able to educate ourselves on these important topics of the intersection of care and social justice so that we can care for all God's children a little bit better every single day. So I look forward to being with you next week. Until then, may God bless you and keep you.